I have noon, so I'm going to go ahead and get started. Thank you for joining us today. My name is Michelle Morris. I work with Consolidated Planning Group. Uh, you'll hear plenty more about us and about what we do um, coming up. I don't want to, um, you know, spend too much time on that right now because we have a lot to get through. Um, if you've been to any of our webinars in the past, you kind of know the drill already. I cannot see you or hear you because we're in webinar mode, but if you have questions um, or comments, you can put those in the chat box. This webinar is being recorded. It will also be shared as a podcast, um, and we will send out the slides a uh, little bit later today with, with a link to the, this webinar. Um, if you are joining us on the podcast, you can email us for slides. And the email is contact at cpgcares.net. That's con contact at cpgcares.net. You can also call us at 281-690-1177. So we are a financial planning firm that focuses on families with special needs loved ones. Um, we work all throughout the state of Texas, even though we're based here in Houston, and we even have clients across the United States. So I'm going to linger a little bit because I see that there are people still coming in, and I want to let them come in, um, let as many people join us before we get into the, the real meat and potatoes of our talk today. So again, um, this is being recorded. You will receive a link to the recording and all of the slides later on today in your email. And um, it will also be posted to our YouTube channel. I put all of our contact information into the chat box and that's where you should put your questions and comments as well. Now I'm going to get to as many questions and comments as I possibly can. Um, but if I miss your question, feel free to reach out to us or, um, you know, if you think I'm ignoring your question, it could be that I see it, but I know that we're going to get to it in a couple of slides. So don't panic if I um, don't immediately answer your questions. Okay, we have a lot of people in today's webinar, more than is typical for us. So like I said, I'm going to try my best to get to as many questions as possible, but please forgive me if I miss some. So today we're going to be talking about SSI and Medicaid, SSDI, Medicare, and childhood disability benefits. So we have a lot to go over, a lot of information to share with you. Um, please, somebody let me know in the chat box we should have just gone to the second slide, who we are. If it did not change, please let me know. Um, so why should you be listening to me? What do I know? Who am I? Uh, well, consolidated, uh-oh, it didn't change. Okay, I'm gonna stop my share and reshare. And now you should see when it comes up, my second slide, who we are. Yes. Okay. Now, before we go on, does it change? Do you see special needs planning? Yes. Yes. Perfect. Okay. Thank you all very much for checking in with me on that. So who are we? Um, we are a holistic special needs financial planning firm located in Sugarland. We serve families all across the United States, like I said. Why should you listen to what we say? Well, we have over 30 years experience with insurance and financial services. Um, Allison, the owner of the company, is part of the million dollar round table, top of the table, which just means that she does a lot of business in terms of insurance and um, investments and things like that. We are fully licensed in insurance and securities. But more importantly, to you and to the topic at hand is that we are members of the Special Needs Planning Academy. Um, Allison and her husband, Jeff, are the owners of the company. They have four kids and two of them have special needs children. Uh, two of them are special needs. So 
when she was coming to the time when her kids were teenagers and she saw how difficult this was and how much there was that she didn't know about, she decided that the company was going to go into the direction of advocating for families and educating families who have special needs loved ones because there's so much that you need to know. So um, some of the things that we help families with are protection plans, lifetime care plans, uh, transition planning, ABLE accounts, and of course, like I said, advocacy, because we want to have a more educated public. And this stuff is complicated. Um, so we're here to help. We're here to help with all of that. Okay, so let's get into it. You should see my slide now that says SSDI versus SSI. And if you can't see that, let me know so I can try and fix it again. Um, but Social Security Disability Insurance, SSDI, and SSI, which is Supplemental Security Income, are very different things. Um, and it's important to know what the difference is and who qualifies for what. So that's a lot of what we're going to be talking about today. So when we're talking about SSDI, um, it's through the Disability Trust Fund. So this is when someone has worked and they pay into Social Security taxes on their paycheck. Um, this is what covers people who have worked. It pays benefits to a dis disabled individual who is unable to work regardless of their income and resources. And what the way that that is done is when the parent begins drawing their social security benefits, you know, when they're in their late 60s, um, their child is able to draw benefits because they can't work, they can't earn their own benefits. Um, so this provides benefits for workers and for disabled adults, uh, as long as you have been disabled since childhood. And you have to meet the insured status requirements, which we'll talk about. Now, turning to SSI, Supplemental Security Income, that comes from general tax revenues, not the Social Security Administration trust funds. It is a needs-based public assistance program that doesn't require anyone to have a work history. It's not tied to that. It is there to pay disabled individuals who are unable to work and have a limited income, have limited income and limited resources. So there are benefits for both children and adults, but like I said, it is based on there being a limited income. So one thing that we help people with all the time is thinking about how is your child's care going to be funded once you're gone. Um, so it's very important that you stay eligible for these different programs um, to be able to have funding for your child. So with SSI and Medicaid, what they're going to look at is that if you are single and above the age of 18, you cannot have more than $2,000 in assets. Now, to me, that's ridiculous. And we are trying to change legislation, but this is what the current rule is, as ridiculous as we may think it is. If you're married, you can have $3,000 in assets. If it's a child and one parent, 4,000, or a child and two parent, 5,000, you can have one car and one house that they don't count. So if your child is under age 18, then you as a family cannot have more than two or $3,000, um, up to $5,000 in assets because you go over that limit, you don't qualify anymore. Now, if or when your child is 18 and above, if they don't have more than $2,000, then they'll be able to qualify. And all of a sudden, boom, they turn 18, they're an adult in the eyes of the law. It goes off of their own income and their own assets. And a lot of times, people who did not qualify before, suddenly can get SSI benefits. Now, when it comes to SSDI, 
RSDI and Medicare, that is based on the work record and the taxes that have been paid into Social Security. So what are the disability rules? It has to, you have to have a physical or mental impairment or both, you know. The disability is expected to last at least 12 months or result in death. Um, they take into consideration your age, education, and past work activity when they're considering SSI or SSDI and the inability to perform substantial work activity. So what they're saying is if you can work, then work and, you know, earn your own income, pay into SS, the social security, you know, taxes and all of that and build up your own record and do it that way. Now, if you can't work and, and get a substantial work, you know, if you, maybe you can work a little, but um, they're talking about substantial work and we'll talk about what do they mean by that? So the substantial gainful activity is what they call this. And basically for 2023, you can see on that second line, line there, if you are able to work and earn 1470 a month or more, or if you are blind and you earn more than 2460 a month, that is substanti substantial gainful activity. And they say that's enough, you don't qualify for benefits because you can earn enough. Um, SSI uses that amount when you're making your initial claim and you're signing up for SSI benefits. SSDI uses that amount throughout the life of the claim. So there are some differences there. Um, the, the rates change every year. So in 2023, the SSI benefit is $914 a month for an individual. Now, if that individual is married and both of them have a disability, the amount is $1,371 a month. Um, so you might, you want to take into consideration um, the drop in benefits that happens when you get married. Um, and there are some, some other things coming up. You know, if you are married, you cannot receive certain benefits. Uh, so you might want to think about that for your child in the future, even if they do want to be independent, they do want to uh, get married. You have to consider the benefits too and what they might miss out on. But if you are a couple, um, and both parties are disabled, you can only get a maximum of $13.71 a month from SSI. So one thing we want you to look up, and like I said, you will receive these slides later in your email. So once you receive these slides, all of these links will be clickable and you'll be able to click to learn about the blue book. I do see a question. If you are initially qualified for SSI and you're getting your SSI benefits every month, will the SSI be stopped after you start to earn money? Yes. You need to report any changes to your situation. <coughs> Pardon me. You need to report any changes as they come up. And when you report those changes and they find out that you're making more than the substantial gainful amount, they will stop your, your SSI payments. Now you can go back to them if that job is reduced or if you lose the job or whatever, um, and you can, you can reapply. Um, I don't know if you have to go through the entire process from start to finish all over again, or just call them up and ask them, um, but you can ask for the money to come back. Um, okay, so the blue book. The blue book is uh, designed for use by healthcare professionals when they're helping determine eligibility. So this will tell you what you need to do to prove that your child is eligible for, for benefits. So um, let's say that your child has Down syndrome and IDD. So you need to look up those two diagnoses and see what it says that is required under those two diagnoses, what you need to prove. Um, and then you need to make sure that 
when your doctor sends in paperwork for your SSI or SSDI determination, that they have those things in your paperwork and show that um, whatever is needed to prove it is in there. So you might want to check your child's records um, before you have your doctor set that send them in to make sure everything is correct and everything is noted that needs to be noted. So talking about SSI, how to apply for it and how this all works. You want to apply for SSI the month that your child turns 18. Actually, as soon after they turn 18 as possible. So you can't you can't just call and say, hey, I want an appointment tomorrow. They're behind, of course, just like any government office. So call a few months in advance and say, okay, my child turns 18 on June 7th. I would like an appointment for June 8th or after uh, as soon as, as I can get in. Now you can schedule that off uh, at an office visit by phone or do it online. Um, if you want to apply for SSI online, which they say is the best way to do it because it's quicker um, and easier. You can go in and open your account and um, it will save the date of the application for you, even if they don't get to it right away. So that's kind of cool. And then they will backdate your benefits. So that's a huge benefit to going online to do that. And again, like I said, this will be clickable later, but you want to make sure that you have evidence that demonstrates that the disability began before age 22. Um, and then you can qualify for childhood disability benefits on one of the parents' records uh, later as well. So get your history together, the, your child's medical history, who their physicians have been, the address and phone number of those doctor's offices, your history of diagnosis, what medications they're on, um, if there is any employer or any work history, they want to know about that, how much your child earns or, or has earned. And then they do want to look at the last three months of bank statements. Um, if you do not have a bank, bank account yet for your child, you will want to get one because that's where they're going to deposit the SSI money. Um, so that's that's a good thing to do is go ahead and open up that account. You never want your child to have more than $2,000 in their bank account. Um, and, and like I said before, it might be beneficial to talk to your primary care physician before you go through this application and um, review the records with them and make sure that everything is in there. Um, I am gonna check questions real quick. And I wanna remind you, we have over 110 people viewing this webinar today and only one me. So I'm going to get to the questions as I can, but bear with me. I have a student who is deaf in one ear due to a malformation. His mom applied for him since he's four and he was denied because they felt his disability has not affected him. He's in a specialized school. He is able... Is, any, is there anything we can do to appeal this? So we do sometimes hear that um, maybe a child is not disabled enough. Maybe they have IDD, but their IQ is not low enough or, or whatever. And that's where that blue book comes in handy. What do you need to show to prove that, um, that they have a disability. Also, because this child is under 18, they're looking at mom and dad's assets and income uh, so that that $2,000, $3,000 limit takes effect. If SSI is not giving benefits backdated, um, but only from the application date, how can we approach them to consider it? I mean, you can ask, uh, but that's just generally so hard. Uh, so hard to get. A lot of times, you know, sometimes you call the social security office, call your local office, not the national office. I will tell you that. Sometimes you call and you're going to get somebody who knows what they're talking about and they're up on all the rules and 
uh, and know what to do. And other times you're going to call and you're going to get somebody who is an order taker and you have to tell them what to do. And they don't know. Um, they're not going to really know what to ask, what all the benefits are, um, all of those things. So you kind of need to know. So call and ask and, you know, do your best, plead your case, but it's not typical that they're going to go ahead and backdate for you unless you go online and fill out that information ahead of time. My kids won't qualify for SSI because of parents' income, of course. Um, that happens frequently, but they do qualify for Medicaid and CHIP, which is great. Uh, you want them to be qualified for Medicaid, keep them medica Medicaid eligible. Um, that will help in the future because of... Um, waiver programs and things like that. Um, yes, if you save uh, money for your child, it could affect their Medicaid eligibility. So still no more than $2,000. Um, we're going to get to what happens when you move from SSI to SSDI. Uh, we'll get to that. Okay, that's all the questions for now. So we're gonna keep going. Does the ABLE account, we're gonna talk about ABLE accounts as well. So after you apply for your SSI, it usually takes up to six months, sometimes even longer. Sometimes it's, you know, because they're waiting on information from their doctor. Sometimes they're just really behind. Um, you know, you can call the Disability Determination Services in Austin. So after your local social security office has your application, everything is finalized, they send it to DDS, the Disability Determination Services. And they are the ones who are going to request your medical records um, and check and review everything for the disability. So you can call them if it's been a while and you haven't heard anything. The number is here in your slides, but you can call and see if they've received the information they're looking for, who is working on it, um, what medical records they received, what they might still be waiting on. And then you can re go back to your doctor's office and say, hey, get this stuff sent in. We need it, it's really important. Um, so that phone number will be here in the slides for you. Uh, so let's talk about presumptive disability. There are some disabilities that as soon as you say, oh, my child has this, they just pretty much know. And there's a link there that will list them all out for you. Um, and, and you don't really have to prove anything except that they, they have that disability. But um, Sometimes they can just make a presumptive decision and it'll go a lot quicker. They can also um, give you up to six months of SSI just based on, okay, you have this, you show me the doc the records that you have this, we understand that uh, that gets a compassionate allowance. Um, some examples of those presumptive disability conditions and um, what they're they're looking at you know if you have an amputation of a leg at the hip total deafness or total blindness um they're confined to bed uh or they they can't move without a wheelchair walker or crutches due to a long-standing condition not just like they broke their leg but like they can't walk um if they've had a stroke if they've got cerebral palsy muscular dis dystrophy or astrophy and marked di difficulty in walking, Down syndrome, um, intellectual disability to where they cannot perform basic self-care activities. Um, those are things that kind of automatically they say, okay, yes, we, we understand. Um, someone at Madonna is asking, my kid was denied because of no work history. He's 18. Yes, you will get denied for SSDI automatically. You have no work history. And what's really ridiculous and you need to understand is that the letter will come to your home and it will say that you've been denied SSDI because you have no work history. But what they don't tell you is that they're still working on the SSI side of things. You should get another letter later 
about SSI. The letters look exactly the same. There might be like one little thing at the top that says something different that clues you in on whether they're talking about SSDI or SSI. I know, I know we can't do these things for them. So just be patient on that one. So here's an example of how your SSI income deduction works. If you are working, how does, or your child is working, how does that affect their benefits? So let's say your child is earning $1,200 a month uh, gross monthly earned income. They take off $20 for a general exclusion, and then they take off $65 for the in earned income exclusion. So that automatically takes $85 off the top that they don't count. Then they're going to look at the remaining money and divide it in half. So that's 11.15 divided by two equals $557.50. That is your new countable income. And they look at the total benefit, they take off your income and that amount that is left is what will be payable to you in SSI benefits or to your child. Um, you do not need to file an appeal if you're denied SSDI because you need to wait for them to, just like the next comment says, you need to just wait for them to review SSI. It just takes longer and they should come back. Um, they should come back to you and, and give you those uh, SSI benefits. So this is how they figure um, your work exemptions and your SSI benefit when you're working. They take off the first 85, they divide your income by two, and then whatever that amount is, they take off of the full benefit and whatever's left over is what you get from them. Um, those exclusions, they exclude the first $20 a month of most income uh, that is used to pursue a plan for achieving self-support, helping, um, helping, of course, your, your child live. They look at state and local assistance based on need that is funded uh, by the state. They're looking at rent subsidies. And then the first $60 of infrequent or in irregularly, let me try that word again, irregularly, received income in a quarter. So let's say you get a hundred bucks for pet sitting for a neighbor. It's not a regular job. It's your irregular um, income. They, they, they exclude the first $60 of that. So when you're talking about principal earned income exclusions, they also exclude the first $65 a month and any use, unused portion of the $20, you know, it's all very complicated. Uh, when they're coming up with these, these amounts, there, there's a lot of different rules, but um, generally they're going to exclude the first $85, the first 60 of irregular, ir, of income that is not regular. <laughs> and, um, come up with a number for you. Now, whatever number they come up with, uh, it's not really negotiable, unfortunately. You can appeal, you can call back and ask questions and all of that stuff. Um, but, you know, also there is a student earned income exclusion. So if your loved one is under age 22 and regularly attending school, then SSI does not count up to $2,220 of their earned income per month when they are figuring out that SSI payment. So yearly, that exclusion is $8,950. So if they're in school and working, and we're not talking about necessarily um, full-time school, the way we think of it for neurotypical children, or it could be eight hours a week of college or university classes, uh, 12 hours a week of grades seven through 12. It could be a training course um, that they're in there for at least 12 hours a week or 15 if it includes shop practice or something like that. Um, 
or it could include homeschooling. If you're homeschooling your child and they're in homeschool for 12 hours a week or more, then they can have that earned income exclusion where they can make a little bit more money. Um, and you have to talk to the Social Security Administration and apply for this. They're not ever going to automatically just give it to you. They don't hardly do that for anything. Um, is SSI income taxable? No. How long does the work have to last to be considered regular? Uh, is a summer job regular employment? I think if, if it's a summer job that they're working, you know, they have work a couple days a week or something like that for a month or more, I would think that that would be regular employment. Now, like I said, if it's an example of, oh, we watched the neighbor's dog and my child got paid a hundred bucks, that is irregular. Unless watching dogs is their regular job. You know, what if they watch dogs for people in your neighborhood and they do it two or three times a week all summer long, then that would become a regular job. Um, do I know the name of the person who took over? We've done some um, webinars with the people who took over Andy Hardwick's place at the Social Security Administration. And you can find that webinar and their contact information on our YouTube channel. Uh, so next, let's talk about the red book. We talked about the blue book, and that one tells you what you need to show to prove that your child has a disability. The red book is a reference uh, regarding employment-related provisions of the social of SSDI and SSI programs. So you want to look at the red book uh, to learn about employment-related questions and things like that. Again, this link will be clickable uh, when you get the slides later on today. So uh, let's spend a minute talk, talking about child support. I've received this question twice. Is SSI income taxable? Do you have to pay taxes on your SSI income? No, you do not. And, and if I'm wrong, somebody correct me, but I don't think so. Okay, so... Child support, if child support is a situation in your life, and I don't want to talk about this for too long because not everybody is divorced. It's not a situation in everybody's lives, uh, but it is a common question that we get. If you have a child with a disability, child support can continue beyond age 18 for that child. Um, and if you have that set up, that continued child support needs to go into a first party special needs trust. Because if your child is receiving child support beyond age 18, it will count against them as income for their SSI and SSDI benefits. It will cause them to have a one third, um, it could cause them to have a reduction. So. Rather than having that money go directly to the child, have it go to a trust. It'll be a first party trust because it's the child's money. Um, and if you, you work with your attorney, it's best if you set this up in advance when you're first starting to go uh, into the divorce and learn about you know how you're gonna set things up, make sure all your documents are corrected. On the front end, it's way easier than trying to go back and do it later. But if you need to, you can. Contact your attorney and get them um, to file to have that money redirected to a first party special needs trust. Um, typically, both parties will agree because mom and dad both want to help the child. So it's it's usually pretty simple to get that drawn up and the judge will sign off sign off on it. Uh, but you do need to know about that. Uh, some terms to know, uh, Title II programs. So that's SSA, Social Security. SSA is the Social Security Administration and all, all of their benefits. RSDI is for Retirement Survivors and Disability Insurance. SSDI is Social Security Disability Insurance. CBD, CDB, sorry, is what they call Childhood Disability Benefits. Uh, there are also Disabled Widower Benefits. 
And any adult receiving benefits from the Title II programs is called a beneficiary. Um, so in order to get RSDI, which is Retirement Survivor and Disability Insurance, the child has to be over 18 years old, disability has to have begun before age 22, they have to be the dependent of an insured worker parent. So the parent has worked, they've gotten their social security credits, they are insured by social security administration. Um, the child has a disability that started before age 22 and now they're over 18. They're not married and they have not previously performed enough work to make that substantial gainful activity amount, that $1,470 uh, per month. Um, then if all of these qualifications are in order, then your child can qualify for RSDI when you turn on your benefits. So the way that works is when you as a parent are in your late 60s and you're ready to turn on your social security benefits, or if you become disabled and turn on your benefits, or if you pass away, then your disabled adult child will be able to draw benefits from your record. Now, if you retire or become disabled, they get half of your benefit. Um, that is your full retirement age benefit. Um, if you pass away, or when you pass away, that amount goes up to 75% of your social security record. Um, and two months, uh, two years, pardon me, two years after you start getting that um, RSDI benefit, then Medicare will kick in. And there are family maximums. Um, it just depends on um, how many people are drawing off of that parent's record. So a couple of questions we always get, uh, does my child getting benefits take away from my benefits? No, this is a separate fund that pays uh, your childhood disability benefits. Um, how do SSDI and RSDI differ? It's a very tough question because as you're about to see that we, when we flip over to talking about RSDI benefits, SSDI benefits, they're pretty much identical. So it, what the real um, identifier is, is who has worked and how much have they worked to earn the benefits. Um, so if your child has worked and they're going to get their own benefits, then um, that would be SSDI, I believe. But the, the terms are, when it comes right down to it, if you accidentally say RSDI instead of SSDI, you're still gonna get what you need. You're still gonna get to the right place. <laughs> SSDI, so we just talked about RSDI. I'm, gonna, I'm going back two slides to say, okay, this is where we talked about RSDI, 18 years, of age and older, disability before age 22, you are the dependent of an insured worker, a parent who got their um, social security insurance sta insured status, you're not married, and you have not performed enough work. Then we have, oops, go back the right way. That was RSDI. So SSDI, you have to file your application. You have to be found to be medically disabled. You have to be fully insured um, and you have to be not working or you're working, but you're not earning more than that 1470. Um, so if you can tell what the difference is between the two things I just said, more power to you <laughs> figuring these out. It is, it is confusing and complicated. I believe that the difference is in, like I said, who's working, how long are they working for? How do you protect your child's benefits? So it, it's very important that your kids are eligible for these benefits and they keep getting them. So you don't want to disrupt that. So you wanna make sure that you have your assets and your child's assets in the right 
buckets. We call them buckets. So you want to make sure that your kid doesn't have more than $2,000 in their name, as we mentioned. But they can have money in an ABLE account or in a trust. So if your child has money, put it in an ABLE account or put it in a trust or spend it down before you apply for their benefits or, um, you know, find a way to make sure that things are set up correctly as best if you can do it from the beginning. So if you have maybe grandma wants to leave money to little Johnny, she needs to know how to do it correctly. You don't put little Johnny's name on um, your life insurance, your investments, your bank accounts as a beneficiary, you want to put the special needs trust for the benefit of little Johnny, and then he'll be fine. He won't get those benefits uh, reduced. Um, so, so make sure that's all set up correctly. Like I said, including well-meaning family members, you know, um, they're their financial advisor that they're going to see who's going to help them set up setting money aside for little Johnny, those financial advisors might not know about all the nuances uh, related to, to this stuff. You know, there are over 250,000 uh, financial advisors across the United States, but there's only 150, not thousand, just 150, which is almost about how many people are viewing this webinar right now um, who understand all of the nuances. So your parents' financial advisor might not know about this and you need to let them know. You might wanna say, um, you know, we're not assuming that you're going to leave money for little Johnny, but if you choose to do so, here's how you have to do it correctly. Okay, let me check out some of these questions. Is RFDI affected if the disabled child becomes a dependent on a non-parent or parent partner's employer if they offer domestic partnership benefits? Okay, so the parent's marital status should not affect the child, um, the child's benefits. Now, another thing that you would want to know is that child, little Johnny, mom and dad, or mom and mom, or dad and dad, whatever, the two parents, whichever one has the higher benefit, your child can draw from that record. If there's a divorce and parents get remarried, you can draw from your natural parent or your um, adopted parent or your step parent or, or whatever the situation may be. Um, so that's kind of cool, whoever is the highest. And then you can switch, um, not like every other week or anything, but you can switch to whoever has the highest benefit as that as time passes. So that's kind of cool. Uh, if the disabled adult earns money less than 1470, does the disabled person get all the SSDI money or only the amount up to 1470? That's getting a little bit more technical than what I know. So you'll want to check with, with them on that one. Will uh, the adult disabled child qualify for Medicaid 24 months after the parent starts getting Medicaid, Medicaid or when the child starts getting Medicare 24 months after the child starts getting those benefits? Okay. After they're receiving their benefits for two years, they get Medicare. What's the maximum number of family members can receive benefits from the parent? There is not a maximum number of family members. So let's say a parent has three kids who have disabilities. All three kids can draw benefits, but there is a maximum amount. So if you get to that maximum amount, then everybody's amount will be reduced a little bit to that, to that maximum. Um, rep payee, I'm my daughter's rep payee for SSI. If I pass her SSI, SSI stops, you should set up a backup rep, P, rep payee now. 
can I do that without calling SSI? I wish. I wish we didn't have to deal with SSI, but in order to set up a backup, you probably would have to get that filed with SSI and have to uh, contact them to get that, unfortunately. Yes, you will be receiving a copy of these slides and a uh, recording of this webinar in your email later on today. So all of these links will be clickable. You can look back through it for questions and things like that. Um, I'm gonna try to speed up a little bit or get through more of these slides. So um, we've talked about making sure your money is in the right place so that you don't jeopardize benefits. You can have a special needs trust for your child's future care. Um, your life insurance and your assets can go into the special needs trust to fund your child's care in the future. And you can have money in an ABLE account for your child. So let's talk a little bit about ABLE accounts. So the beneficiary, your child, is the account owner, but it still does not count against them towards uh, for their SSI or Medicaid or any other public benefits. You put money into the ABLE account, it is invested and your money grows. That growth is not taxable. Unfortunately, the federal government does not give you a deduction on that money that you put in there. Some states will, of course, Texas, there is no income tax, so they can't give you an income tax deduction on that money. Um, although other states might. Um, there are special contribution and distribution limits. So here you can see under the contributions um, section, it's $17,000 for 2023. Basically, whatever the gift tax annual exclusion is for that year is the same as how much you can put into an ABLE account. Now, you never, ever want to put more than $100,000 into your ABLE account in total, or else you could lose your SSI benefits. Now, if your child is working, you can contribute additional money, but still don't go over $100,000. Um, when we're talking about what you can use to pay, use your distributions for, we're going to talk about that. But um, the distribution is not taxable. The growth in the investments is not taxable. You can roll over your um, ABLE account to another family member as long as they're eligible, which means that they are disabled and the disability started before age 26 for this one, 26. Now, um, yes, Sean Bay Jones, thank you, sorry. Um, when someone passes away and they have an ABLE account, Medicaid can be reimbursed for some of the expensive expenses that they've paid out to your child by taking additional funds that were in that ABLE account. So Medicaid can draw back some of those funds to repay themselves. An ABLE account can pay for basically anything that will, um, that can be construed as achieving a better life for an individual with a disability. So really an ABLE account is pretty wide open. Um, you can pay for food and shelter and transportation and education and training and technology and a vacation and legal, really pretty much anything. Um, the, the limit, the, that's a pro of the ABLE account, if you will. The cons are that you can only put in $17,000 this year and you can't put in more than 100,000 total and that Medicaid can get their hands on it. Um, but, but here, you know, there, there's a big difference. So there's pros and cons of ABLE and then there's pros and cons of the trust. The trust you can put in as much as you want. There's no limits. Medicaid can't get any of the money out of your third party trust, they can get money from your first party. Um, but when it comes to a trust, you can pay for all of these things. This slide is really not as important though as this next slide. You cannot, should not use your special needs trust to pay for daily living things like rent or mortgage, uh, taxes on your real estate, get your utilities. So. If you use your trust to pay for food and shelter, 
um, basically SSI is going to reduce what they're paying you. So don't use your special needs trust for rent, mortgage payments, utilities, um, homeowners insurance, condo charges. Do not take cash out of your trust and do not use it to pay for food or else you'll get reduced SSI benefits. That's why it's good to have both. They work together. This one can pay for these things. This one can pay for these things. There's different limits to watch out for, but many of our clients have both. Um, so one thing that we know keeps our, our families up a lot late at night, and I'm aware that it's we've got about 10 more minutes, so I'm trying to get through this. Um, developing a future care plan in advance is going to be way more helpful to make sure that your child is taken care of in the future. You don't want to leave it up to chance and just to guess and to make sure, you know, you really want to make sure that you've, you've got a plan in place. You want to consider what's going to happen after high school. Is it an educational um, experience that your child will be looking for or a vocational option or a residential option? Um, who knows, you know, you know, <laughs> and you need to plan for it. You might want to start touring those transition programs, uh, whether it's full care, partial care, residential, waiting lists can be long. And you want to really think long and hard before you just say, oh, her sister will take care of her once I'm gone. You want to keep that sibling relationship um, loving and friendly and not obligatory. You don't want to make it a chore. Uh, so I'm seeing some questions here. Let's, uh, let's go over to some questions. Can you have both a 529 college savings plan and an ABLE account? You can have both, but if your child is not likely to go to college, having a 529 plan might be wasted. Um, when you you can roll money over from your 529 college to your 529 ABLE, um, but the money can be used in very different ways. So be careful about that. Uh, you can shop around for an ABLE account. There are ABLE accounts all over the country. Different states have them set up. You should find a good one for you. They're not all created equal. Um, Once I start receiving my social security benefits, my disabled daughter with SSI will lose SSI. They will flip, she will flip over to drawing off of your record instead of drawing her own SSI because drawing off of your record will probably be more. Um, if it's not more, she can continue to stay on SSI. Uh, you can also, you know, if, your social security isn't high enough and she wants to draw from social security, you can draw part from mom and part from dad and part as your own SSI to get the full amount that you deserve. It, it's very complicated and it's, yeah, it is complicated. Here's what the issue is. If you lose SSI, will you lose Medicaid too? No, not necessarily. There's something called the pickle amendment that in short, says that if you had qualified for Medicaid in the past, you will stay qualified for Medicaid. Um, so check into that, check into the pickle amendment. And then there's more here, it's getting a little bit too uh, confusing and too detailed to answer here on this, but look into the pickle amendment if you're worried about losing Medicaid. Um, if you're on a Medicaid waiver and you have an ABLE account. Uh, yeah, Medicaid wants to come after your ABLE account or your first party trust to pay back some of the benefits that they've given your child throughout their life. Uh, the trust can pay for home repairs, yes, and health and safety. You'll get these slides that had listed out everything everything can pay for. Okay, I'm gonna go back to my slides for a second. I've got 19 new messages, so if I don't get to all of them, I am sorry. Um, 
I, I'm going to do the best I can. And I'm willing to stay on a little bit beyond one o'clock if you guys are. So this slide is some things that we work with people on all the time. The Texas waiver programs, SSI and SSDI enable accounts, beneficiary designations. Would the individual lose Medicaid if they stop receiving SSI? Not necessarily. The Pickle Amendment protects you. Can you receive both SSI and SSDI? You receive whichever one is the highest, and if it's not high enough, then you can get both. Keeping Medicaid through the Pickle am Amendment. Yes, I did bring that up a little bit. Um, okay, we talked about special needs trusts, we talked about child support, we talked about residential facilities and, and communities, you know, check into those early. Guardianship and alternatives to guardianship. The law in Texas says that if guardianship is um, something that you're considering, you have to go with the least restrictive option for your family. So it might not be full guardianship. You will need to contact an attorney to help you set that up. And we can help you find an attorney who is focused on special needs topics. Um, this is our team. Really quick, like I said, Allison and Jeff are the owners. Um, this, my glamour shot. And there's my husband, Andy. We're two husband and wife teams. And I'm going to leave it on this slide while I get through as many questions as I can. Let me explain, first of all. We offer a free personalized consultation to answer your questions, learn about your family, and then we'll tell you how we work and how we charge and if we would be a good fit to work together. This QR code will take you to our website where you can sign up for your free consultation. If a QR code isn't your thing, you can do, um, you can call us or email us. Again, our uh, email is contact at cpgcares.net. If you're listening to our podcast and you would like the slides that we're, we've gone over today, we would be happy to email those to you. Our links to our Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and our podcast are here. All of these will be clickable when you get these slides later on today. Okay, so I'll just leave that there so you can all make your appointments while I answer questions. Do you have to go through an agency to receive an ABLE account? You can set up an ABLE account all on your own. You don't have to go through anybody to do that. The special needs trust, you do need an attorney to draw up for you. <clears throat> um, there are agencies that can help families with low income and we're happy to send resources. It's going to be the uh, Family to Family Network, Parent to Parent, Arc of Texas, things like that. Uh, okay. If a parent is receiving SSI and RSDI and are low income, does a non-disabled child get any financial benefits based on that? No. Your non-disabled child unless they're under age 18. Okay, so if a parent is receiving some kind of disability payments or um, social security benefits and their child is under 18, then yes, that minor child could receive benefits. If the child is over 18, they will not receive benefits unless they have a disability. Christina had to go back to work, sorry about that. Pickle Amendment has some limitations. Um, you need to look into that. I'm not really an expert on the Pickle Amendment, but I know it's out there and it's something that you need to be, uh, you can look into. Um, excellent job. Thank you so much for this presentation. Thank you, Stephanie, with a fantastic last name. Um, one, two other things I wanted to mention, and if you have any other questions, you can put them in. If you would like to help out our company a little bit, there are two things that we're kind of looking for. Um, first of all, we're looking for photos that we can use um, of your families, your loved ones on our website and in our marketing materials. If you would be willing to share photos, we do have a form that we would have you sign, kind of a release that you give us permission to use your photos. But it would be so 
much more heartwarming, we feel, to have real people on our website, you know, clients or, or people who are familiar with our company, having photos of your children on our website rather than just stock photos of children. Um, that's something that you can consider. We would also love your testimonials. Uh, recently, laws have been changed where financial firms are able to use testimonials in their marketing and on our websites and things like that. If you would like to write, you know, a testimonial, or if you want to let me say, excellent job, thank you so much for this presentation, you can talk about the services we offer, you can talk about our webinars and how helpful the information is, and then we could use that, use your words. That would be very helpful to us as well. Uh, so those are some things that you can pass back to us if you're feeling it in your hearts. Um, but but we, we give this information freely and we are here to help you. So um, I see some people have already dropped off. They probably have to return to work. If there's anything else that you need, reach out to us. Um, and we're happy to help. And if, if you want to help us, like I said, you can call our office or email our office. Uh, enjoy the rest of your week. Have a great, great day. And uh, we're here for you if you need anything. Thank you so much. If you missed anything, you will receive a copy of the slides and the recording that will come in your mail, email. Thank you all. Okay, bye-bye. Have a great day. Securities and advisory services offered through Triad Advisors, member FINRA and SIPC, Consolidated Planning Group Incorporated and Triad Advisors LLC are not affiliated. Advisory services offered through Consolidated Planning Group Incorporated. Consolidated Planning Group Incorporated is not affiliated with Triad Advisors.